This is Luke Iorio, and this is the Unknown Talent Podcast. Everybody has talent, but how can you use it to the fullest? We invite incredible people with an unknown talent. Find your inspiration at the Unknown Talent Podcast. podcast is enabled by Gulliver Trainingen. Thank you for coming at this beautiful place here at the Happiness Summit in Miami. We're very happy to have you here, Luke. Can you uh, tell something about who you are and how friends would describe you? Sure. Uh, you know, in, in most descriptions, uh, one of the things I love to, to lead with is first and foremost, I'm a father, I'm a parent, I'm a spouse. Uh, I'm, you know, somebody who thoroughly enjoys the podcast that I run. Uh, I'm a coach. Uh, I'm somebody who pursues mindfulness and consciousness and meditation uh, in all different forms and, and directions. And really, though, when I start to look behind all of it, I'm just somebody who thoroughly enjoys pursuing and trying to figure out what's possible for us as human beings. Uh, what is it that, that allows us to flourish? And that's really the part of myself. I happen to do that through many different means and many different media and uh, being the president of, of IPEC, uh, you know, another aspect of, of who I am. Uh, it's different forms that I do that. But at the end of the day, what I am, who I am, is somebody who thoroughly enjoys figuring out what it is that we can do to flourish as human beings and be thoroughly fulfilled in what we do and in this life. What has made you that these aspects such as flourishing and for example, happiness have come so much important for you? It was, it didn't start as happiness because I didn't realize that's ultimately what it was that I was looking for. But I think like a lot of individuals who, who pursue professional means and uh, try to get out there to achieve certain things within their career, they take on a lot of the expectations of what they learned when they were younger, maybe what they heard from their parents or what they heard from their teachers or maybe even from their early managers. And so like a lot of that traditional path, I went out and I pursued a career path, thought it was something that was going to bring me a whole lot of joy and just realized I was not fulfilled. Uh, very specifically for me, it was around the time of when 9-11 occurred. Uh, and I happened to have been very close to some of the circumstances that, that unfolded that day. And it made me reinvestigate my life. And as soon as I started to wake up to the fact that I'm, I wasn't happy, I wouldn't have used that term at the, at the time because I didn't know what was missing. I just knew I was not satisfied. I was uncomfortable. Uh, life just didn't seem like this is what it was all about. And so I started to make some decisions that led me into a different direction. Originally, when I started to walk away from some of the career path that I was on, I got into some small business and got into entrepreneurship, thinking, great, this is going to provide me freedom and uh, tap into something that, that I'm going to contribute to in a different way. And of course, anybody who's ever owned a small business knows that freedom is usually not the first word you're going to use to describe it. Uh, so it was a very different path. But what I realized was at that same time, I took what had been the career orientation, just turned it into a different goal orientation. So while I was a little happier in my life, I still wasn't finding fulfillment. And it was ultimately actually when I discovered uh, coaching in the field of coaching later on, even discovering uh, meditation, I recognized that really what was missing was that I was living a life according to only one or two aspects of who I was. I wasn't living a whole life. I wasn't living full to who I am. And I was ignoring a lot of parts of myself. And instead I learned to pause, to breathe, to look around, to appreciate so much of, of what's here in front of all of us. 
and to recognize that if you want happiness, if you want fulfillment, if you want freedom within this life, you've really got to look deeply within yourself to understand what matters most to you and what are your values and really be introspective, uh, have a high degree of self-awareness. And then all of a sudden you realize that happiness is something that you cause. It's not something you go out and find. Yeah, yeah, beautiful, beautiful. And and what did you did before that mm -hmm. in your resume? Can you tell something about that? Yeah, I'd, I'd been, uh, I started out originally in advertising, uh, worked for a, a kind of a small boutique advertising agency, went into another organization where I was running marketing communications for them, uh, doing some PR, PR work uh, with them that as well. And just to, as I went from the entrepreneur to the corporate, more corporate environment, it just didn't speak to me for, for me personally and who I am and what I was looking for. And when I came out and stepped out into small business, I was working actually originally in uh, small business uh, mergers and acquisitions. And so helping people transition their businesses. And that led me into a marketing management consulting practice that I founded. And I was running that for a couple of years when I uh, discovered coaching. And for the third time in about five year period, uh, I walked home to have a conversation with, used to be my girlfriend, then my fiance, then my wife, an expecting wife and say, I'm going to walk out of what I'm doing and I'm going to walk out of my job and I've now found something that I really want to lean into. And so it's been a very interesting path to, to uh, get to where I am and to the, the organization that I've been able to be a part of now for the past 14 years. Uh, but it was a series of, series of different things and peeling back and really trying to uncover who I really am and what this experience of life is that I wish to have. Luke, uh, how do you describe coaching? What is coaching for you? Because uh, mm -hmm. a lot of people have a sort of definition in their head, yeah. uh, experience, but what yeah. is coaching for you? Well, I think one of the best ways to understand it, actually two things to understand, is almost around what coaching is not. And so one of the, the major misconceptions about coaching that's out there is that in some way coaching is about telling people, hey, here's what you need to do. Here's the path. Here's the answer. That's not coaching. That's a mentor, it's a consultant. You need those for very specific reasons. So consultants, you hire because of a very specific expertise about a technical or specific problem that you have because you want them every single step of the way to figure it out. A mentor is somebody who's gonna tell you, this is what I've done, come learn from my experience and kind of follow some of the footsteps that I can lay out for you. Coaching is not meant to do that. Coaching is meant to help you uncover much more of, of your answers from within who you are. Every single one of us has the expertise that nobody else in this world will ever have, and that's the expert in being us. And everybody's different, and, right? And everybody's different, yeah, and their yeah. path is gonna be different. So it ultimately needs to come from within you, A, because it needs to be aligned to really truly who you are. You're also gonna have a different level of ownership over the steps that you then ultimately do take because they've come from you. They're not just somebody telling you what it is that you should be doing for yourself. So coaching is a process. It's a facilitated process that helps people connect to the wisdom that's inside of them. It helps them become more self-aware, open up their consciousness a lot more, and ultimately become a lot more empowered and engaged within their life because they're creating their own path. They're creating their own way. So is it, so is it Luke, that you uh, create a better foundation by coaching because you create your own success experiences. Mm -hmm. Can we yeah. say it like that? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say that it's, it's ultimately it's more sustainable because the almost one of the primary jobs of a coach is to be obsolete. We want our clients to be completely self-sufficient, stand on their own two feet, understand what they've just gone through and how much of it that they've driven on their own. They don't need us anymore. We may continue to coach with somebody, but that's because they want to work on something new and they want to go achieve something even higher than they've already been accomplished. But the goal is getting them to the point where they can run completely on their own because it's come from them. 
Who is your coach in life? Do you have several coaches? I've, I've had many. <laughs> I've had many at, at any different times. Um, certainly one of one of my coaches along this way uh, is the founder of IPEC. Uh, Bruce Schneider is both a business partner, uh, friend, as well as been a, a mentor and coach to me at different times with my life. But I've worked with many coaches, uh, sometimes on my own spiritual development and, and mindfulness and consciousness type of development. Other times I've worked in very uh, specific fields of business development or within speaking. Uh, anytime that I want to grow in a particular area, I look for coaches who can help bring that out in me. And that even though they may have some knowledge like that consultant that, that may be out there and some experience that may be there, it's got to be a coach who really knows how to have that ultimately come from you. It can't just be them saying, hey, go do this, like we were saying before. And so I've worked with a lot of different coaches for a lot of different reasons. When do you know when a coach is a good coach for you? Sometimes a coach yeah. has to be confronting. Mm -hmm. It isn't always that nice. So Absolutely. when, when uh, I have uh, a good coach <laughs> beside <yeah>. me here. <laughs> it can be very comforting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah. But when do you know, Luke, yeah. when, when a coach is a good coach for you? I think the, one of the things that you want to pay attention to for yourself is whether you feel comfortable enough to trust the individual that you're meeting with. It's, there's a lot of personal rapport. That, that you want to test for with a coach and, and really begin to evaluate. Because it, it should be somebody that you feel that you can trust, feel very comfortable and confident in who they are. And it's also somebody that you feel that there's almost even a level of vulnerability that you can more easily get yourself into. Because coaching is an intimate type of process. And part of that challenge effect is that a coach needs to have many different styles. If one day you need a kick in the pants, then you need a kick in the pants. And on another day, if you need a little bit of, you know, tender love and care, then, you know, TLC. You've got to be able to vary it around, but you've got to have that rapport that's built off of trust with the individual that you're meeting with. And that's really what you want to feel your way towards, because that's not something that you can just easily know, but it is something that usually you can feel when you connect with and interview somebody you may want to work with. In my experience, a lot of people uh, will uh, see a coach as something negative because they think, yeah. am I uh, sick or something or mm -hmm. uh, am I uh, troubled or uh, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, it's interesting. There was a really uh, interesting study that was done uh, out of the International Coach Federations, the kind of the governing body of, of uh, coaches certifications and things like that. And it was partnered with uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers. And it was a few years ago, and they found that the two most common perceptions of why somebody works with a coach, it was in a complete remedial circumstance where something is broken and you've got to fix it, or you're at the very high end of high potential. And so therefore we want to maximize it. So it's literally polar opposites, all right? And it tells you a little bit about uh, the knowledge of coaching. Now, thankfully, that has begun to change a lot. The reason why you work with a coach is because there's something more that you want to get out of yourself, something more that you want to begin to embody, something, maybe a change or a transition that you may want to go through. It can be for any number of reasons. It could be because you do want to work on something that's not working as well, or it could be something's working great and you want it to be even better and figure out how to leverage it even higher. I know of coaches that work for business and executives. I know those who work with relationships, careers, purpose, spirituality. I even know somebody who only coached brides. Uh, it's, it can be very, very specific, but it is, that's a major transition stage. So anytime people are going through transition or growth, or they want to bring about transition or growth, those are really what's behind any of those specific fields of coaching and niches of coaching that are out there. Is there a situation uh, that coaching is not possible or there is a sort of line? Uh, and what is the line? Well, certainly, I mean, one, one of the lines that you want to draw is there is a difference between coaching and therapy. 
And so obviously a lot of therapeutic intervention is there for very specific healing purposes. It's there for mental health purposes uh, and for individuals who may have, it could be some form of mental illness, it could be some form of something that's creating true dysfunction or addiction within their life. That is not the field of coaching and coaches should, should not be delving into that type of world. You need a properly trained mental health professional for that. And so those are the types of things that, that should have a very, very clear line around it. Um, other than that, honestly, I've seen coaching applied to a great number of things. And whether that be something that, that you want to personally develop, to, to personally develop for more freedom or for more fulfillment, or technical in terms of if I want to be uh, a better performer, whether that be athletes or sales or a theatrical performance. So I've seen it applied to a great number of areas. But obviously, from a mental health standpoint, that should be with properly trained mental health professionals. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you maybe have an example, uh, Luke, for someone that you were coaching and you thought okay there's a bigger thing happening there yeah i i have not personally um had to refer somebody to a therapist uh, most of the reason is is because i do a lot of preliminary uh, conversation before i take on a client and, and most coaches really should they should get to know the people they're working with before they just engage and there are certain things that that you will get into a conversation one of those those upfront uh, confidential conversations with a client to ask them about their background uh, what it is that they have tried in the past to be able to move through whatever it is that they happen to be struggling with how long has that struggle lasted because there are certain things that will help you identify is something situational or chronic Obviously, if it's chronic, that tends to be more of a mental health uh, type of an issue that you, you go through. And so, you know, I think this goes back to a little bit about the, some of the misunderstandings of coaching is that coaches need to be properly trained. And that's part of the training that you should be receiving from wherever you get your certification. Uh, coaching is not something that you can learn in a 40-hour online course. It just doesn't work that way. It's a highly interpersonal process, uh, and it takes quite a bit of time to develop a level of expertise. And things like what you're describing of being able to really truly understand when there may be an issue that needs to get referred, that's got to be part of the process as well. Is it possible that everybody is, uh, is a coach? Is it possible to learn coaching or do you have to be a natural? It's, you, don't yeah. have to, you don't have to be a natural. More people can learn it than most would think because it is, it's a process that you go through. So part, another aspect of becoming a coach is you're going to get coached through that process as well. And so as you get coached through that process, there are certain things like uh, empathy and social intelligence and listening skills and communication skills that even if you're not naturally inclined to it, you're going to begin to open up to it in, in different ways. There's going to be different, uh, different levels of, of you know, coaching. There's different levels of expertise and mastery ultimately that's going to be there. And it also depends on who they're going to work with. So that's another, you know, if, if somebody who may not have as much empathy, but they can learn all the coaching processes and they open even just that one or 2%. And let's say they came from an engineering background and they're planning to coach engineers who by, by, uh, by nature tend to have some of those traits, meaning more analytically or logically dominant, then it's fine. They match yeah, the audience yeah. they're working with. Yeah. And so there's, there's a lot of variation, a lot of variability in terms of how much a coach can take on, how much it is they can learn, and also how appropriate is that to the groups they're going to be working with as well. So there's a lot of dynamics to, to, to figure in, which is why there's actually a lot more, there's a lot more people that are very capable of learning coaching yeah. than there would expect. There has to be a click between, yeah. The, yeah, between <clears throat> both. And if uh, Absolutely. engineers or uh, uh, people who work in, be, uh, in restaurants... It, um, absolutely. You know, I, I use engineers just simply as a kind of a, um, a simple generic example. 
uh, because it tends to be a slightly more analytical field. But it's it's really you're looking for the the individuals that the coach is going to work with. There just needs to be a certain level of match between the personality, the style that is there. Uh, and that's why, again, there's a lot of different people. They make coaches in all yeah. shapes and sizes and colors and everything else yeah. for a reason. Yeah. Because yeah. there's Absolutely. almost 8 billion of us on the planet. So yeah. there's yeah. a lot of different styles throughout there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. Thanks. Um, this is a big role of you, coaching. Eh? Um, we have a special colleague. You're a podcaster, too. I am. So uh, am. is the podcast uh, also uh, uh, about coaching or... Just it, promote it. It's Now's a, your chance. Yeah, right that's my chance. The, po- the podcast is One Idea Away, uh, is the name of the podcast, One Idea Away. And it actually, originally, it did start out of our coaching community. That's part of uh, investigating just some of the themes and topics that were interested in, uh, interesting to our coach community. However, we don't cover it from a practitioner standpoint. We don't cover it from the technical standpoint. Instead, we dive into the fields of happiness, the fields of mindfulness. We talk a lot about purpose and relationships and connection, uh, figuring out what is the, you know, the career you can turn into a calling. So we talk about a lot of different issues that are there and what happened is it started getting spread around. So coaches started sharing it with their clients who shared it with their friends. Who share- so now it's, it's actually a very much a, for the general public but I would say that it's really for people who are looking to flourish more in their life. If they have that question of, usually it starts with, you know, if you're asking that question of, is this all there is? Isn't there, there more to life than what I'm experiencing right now? Those are the people that, that ultimately are on a journey that connect with this podcast because it helps them answer questions of what brings that real fulfillment, that real connection, the experience of life that I'm wishing to have. And those are the type of topics we cover. Uh, Luke, you mentioned uh, mindfulness uh, a mm-hmm. couple of times. Uh, mm-hmm. Is there a, a relation of a connection with coaching and mindfulness? Do you combine it? There's, there's a connection with coaching in a lot of different disciplines. So coaching had the benefit of, because we, as a profession, were formalized and developed later. It's only about a 25, 30 year old field at this point and from a, from a really professionalizing the field. And so as a result of that, there were things that were already in motion. So there's a little bit of, of some of the uh, qualities even within therapy that are applied to a non-therapeutic type of se- uh, uh, setting that have come in to be used within coaching. There's neuroscience that fits into coaching. There's mindfulness that fits into coaching. There's um, even neuro-linguistic programming that can fit into coaching. Uh, so it draws from a lot of different modalities but it's used for a very specific purpose. And that's ultimately the, the, you know, the uniting factor within coaching and any discipline that, that combines into it is that it really is there to help that individual uncover their path, uncover their answers. Uh, specifically in terms of mindfulness, I uh, just we wanted to make sure we had that, that perspective. From mindfulness, mindfulness is really an exploring, exploring of your own awareness, your ability to accept what it is that's coming up within life, and really to begin to understand your own consciousness and how what you focus on, your attention and your consciousness, how that ultimately affects the experience of life that you're having. So yeah, there is, there's a lot of synergies with what mindfulness uh, focuses on and how that's incorporated with coaching as well. I always um, think about uh, coaching like a toolbox. You wanna uh, give people uh, things that could help them and maybe uh, could help them from their own perspective. What I find very hard as a coach is not to look at your own examples in life. Yes. So how do you do that? Do you have a tip for all coaches? Uh, I wouldn't say it's one tip. <laughs> <laughs> a few it's, is also... Uh, a few, yeah. First and foremost, as a coach, when you start to recognize that the times in your life that you've made the most progress and have worked out the best for you are from when you've had the ability to figure out this is the direction I want to go, 
the path I want to take. Here's my aha insight moment. And here's how I can put it literally into my life for coaches to even be able to reflect on that. It reminds them of the purpose of the coaching process so that when you are, if you get into that advising type of position, you're actually taking something away from your client. So the reason why I share this is this isn't so much a tip as it's a really important belief for coaches to be able to connect to because when they hold on to that type of belief, then it can keep them in a, in a space where they are listening with a lot more in, in intuition behind what they're doing. They can listen much more deeply to what it is a client that's saying. And now they're not thinking, oh, hey, what's the relevant experience or the advice that I've got in my head to be able to you know, give it now? Instead, they're just being with that client and then being able to reframe back to a client of, wow, you know, I'm not sure if you realize that you just brought this up, but here's one of the values you just highlighted. Here's one of the beliefs that might be limiting that you just highlighted. Here's this. When you're able to stay with a client that way, you can stay in process with that client. That's really, that's why it's not a tip. It's, it's much more of a mindset and approach to be able to take with a client. And for a coach, the more that they connect with that belief system of why am I approaching it this way, the easier it is to stay within that, that approach. Yeah, because it's your own thing, and that, that's why it's, it's, it's a better foundation than uh, when it comes from someone else. Yeah, it, com yeah. it literally comes from you, yeah, yeah. and, and you know, that's what motivates us. That's part of what the empowerment is. So a distinction that we make in terms of empowerment, it's a word that's been thrown around for quite a while. Empowerment is not me giving you power. Empowerment is me helping you connect to the fact you already have it, yeah. and it's uncovering that and allowing you to move forward from that place. That's what I want to be able to do as a coach. And, and uh, can I say that it's all about the questions that you ask? That's certainly a big part of the process. Absolutely. And uh, what we learned is the five times why method. Yeah. Yep. yeah like an onion. Absolutely. So just ask, why is that a problem? Yeah, it's because of my, um, my sister. Why is your sister a problem? And is that one of the methods you that's use? Certainly, yeah, that's certainly part of the process um, yeah. is, is one where you're going, which is using questions to peel back that onion, we'd refer to that as uncovering, right? So how is it that you can help an individual through questions look beneath their answer, beneath their answer, beneath their answer, so they get closer and closer and closer to the actual core belief, interpretation, assumption, whatever it is that's having them see that situation in a particular way. And so using questions in that way is certainly part of it. There's many ways of using questions. And so sometimes in using, in using those types of questions, part of it is also, when you ask a very powerful open question your client stops because it's asked in such a way that there's they can't give you a quick answer it can't be something off of the top of their heads it's something that completely drops into a different part literally a different part of their brain where they've got to say huh let me figure out how i'm going to connect all the different experiences or thoughts that are going on right now and how i'm going to make them relevant to the question that was just asked so there's, there's a lot of different ways to use questions to get people completely out of the existing perception that they have today and have them get to a place where they've got to consider it from a lot of different angles. And now they get the choice. When you go from you know, one angle to five angles, now all of a sudden you get to look around and say, okay, well, what works about that one and doesn't work about that one? Now, what, number two, what's good, what's, what works or doesn't work about that one? Now, number three, what's useful, not useful? Now they're putting all these different options on the table and you've just completely opened up what it is that they may have been stuck on. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Before we go to the, the sure. next question, um, do you know NLP? 
Um, yeah. Yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah. I'm aware of uh, neurolinguistic programming. Yeah. Yes. Is there something with NLP that I hear uh, on your background? Because I've I've studied some of of neurolinguistic programming, and uh, the the pieces mostly with NLP that I'm interested in are some of the linguistic sides of it. Yeah. So how it is that you are very conscious of the language that you use, the way that you use it, uh, the effect that that can have on an individual, and how you lead them. Uh, that's something that's embedded within at least within our coaching model. Um, because it's it's so fundamental to asking powerful questions, as an example, or empowering questions, as we would describe yeah. it. Yeah, you triggered me because, uh, uh, and that's why I thought it was funny because you were talking, <laughs> and uh, the, the mind they say is capable of thinking about two to five hundred words a minute, and we were, can talk like one hundred twenty uh, uh, words. Yep. Uh, that's why I was thinking, okay, the 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 power of silence. It's so, so, so powerful. Absolutely. Silence drops us again into a different place for us to slow down, catch up to our thoughts that are there. Uh, that's one way of going. Another, another angle, and it's just the way to me to describe those really powerful questions as well, is that the feeling of awe that people have, and most of the time when you are in a a place where you have that feeling of awe. Let's say it's a beautiful sunset. It's a beautiful landscape. It's just something that literally takes your breath away. For you to have a moment of awe, what that basically means is that the experience that you are having is too big for your mind to process at that moment. So you must stop. A powerful question does the same thing. And that's what you're after is that moment where there is so much depth to something that was just asked that somebody has to slow down and say, wait a minute, I've got to completely reevaluate what I'm looking at because that, that just opens my mind to a place that I haven't been before. Um, a, a question, did you ever uh, had an experience with somebody who got angry because you told uh, or advised something and then later on the person will come back to you and said, wow, now I just realized what you meant or I have an uh, experience that I could see the whole from it? Well, certainly, and, and it usually comes from if they've gotten angry in the process, most of the time it's because they've uncovered something that is really uncomfortable and something that they are frustrated by, something that they are really stuck on and they are really struggling with, I know I need to do something different and I'm so not ready to go there. And so it can bring those types of things up. And then certainly it'll come back where all of a sudden you may have a conversation for a second or a third time many months down the road and then all of your client, all of a sudden your client will turn back to you and go, oh, okay, now I can see the picture. Now I can see how those, all those dots connect. That's also why coaching is a process. If you just tell somebody, if I had just told them, no, you've got to go do this, they wouldn't have followed it because their heart wasn't there. Their energy wasn't behind it at that time. They've got to go through their own process and journey. And as a coach, you've got to allow that process to unfold so that they can connect in that way. Because now, even if it's two or three months have come by, but now all of a sudden they've connected to what we were trying to do previous, they understand it, apply it, integrate it in a completely different level of their being. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe a nice bridge to the following topic. You were telling us about that sunset and I was looking at my, uh, my paper over here and I saw happiness. Uh, you told a little bit about it in the beginning, but uh, what's your connection with happiness? When the Happiness Summit uh, asked you and said, okay, Luke, we want to uh, have you on our summit. It, you know, we were, we were really fortunate that when the Happiness Summit was coming together, uh, I guess at this point, almost two years, a little over two years ago, that one of our graduates from IPEC was very close with some of the organizers with Wahasu. 
And so they had reached out and said, listen, we want a much bigger relationship with a coaching organization. Uh, we were referred to you by you know, some, one of your graduates. And I just had the pleasure of, of meeting with, with Karen and Manuel and some of the team and sitting down with them and realizing that there was a lot of alignment between what they wanted to accomplish and what we do within the world and what our coaches do within the world. And so uh, it was a very um, easy path for us to align around. At age 32, uh, you were president of the highly respected Institute for Professional Excellence in Coaching. Yes. With other words, IPAC. IPAC, yeah. Uh, can, you, can you tell us something about IPAC? What, what sure. was your role and what, what did you do? Sure, absolutely. IPAC is, we're now in our 19th year uh, of business. And we've been one of the accredited coach training schools for uh, since 2001, so for 17 years. We're one of the early accredited schools. Uh, we've graduated more than 11,000 coaches at this point. Uh, we train them across multiple disciplines, whether it's life coaching or business executive coaching, career, purpose, a lot of, a lot of different fields that uh, ultimately come through us. And is it in America? Uh, uh, we're, we're based, we're headquartered uh, just outside of uh, New York in New Jersey. And, uh, but we train all around the world. So we've got 16 locations in the States. We've got a location up in Canada. We're in London. And we actually are in the midst of a rollout in Europe. And we'll be announcing five new locations over the course of the next three years. Okay. And, and uh, it's a training uh, for, for how long? It's a nine-month training. Nine months? Uh, it's over okay. 300 hours of training. It's, it's the most comprehensive training program for coaches uh, in the industry. Uh, and it was, you know, honestly, we've been very, very fortunate. Uh, we have grown extraordinarily well uh, over the last 10 years uh, specifically and the reputation that we've built because of the extensiveness of our training as well as a specific you mentioned coaching being from that standpoint of being able to provide those tools and different approaches what we apply that to is a consciousness based understanding meaning that everybody needs to understand as an individual where do we get conditioned how does life condition us how does that affect the way that we perceive the world so we actually have a consciousness based model for people to understand how they show up in the world and our coaches understand how clients are coming at things. So all of the skills and the tools and the approaches that they learn are very specifically addressed to the way that that person's seeing the world based on where they're coming from from a consciousness standpoint. So because of that, and because of the comprehensiveness and because of the quality that we do things, uh, we have, we've done extraordinarily well. We've been very, very blessed. Wow, and that's for 19 years already. 19 years. 19 yeah. years, wow. Yeah. Uh, Luke, in my experience, sometimes managers say uh, uh, coaching can be costly. What is the effect and how can you uh, measure it? How do you know it's... It's, it's interesting because there, there's been a variety of studies that have... Uh, one, of the, you know, one of the original ones was a Manchester study that showed that coaching has uh, a 600% ROI on the investment that goes in. Uh, I've seen everything that's been anywhere on the low side of about 500% to as much as 800%, depending on what it was that was being analyzed. Most of the time for organizations, one of the most critical things for them to do is to set some of the both quantitative and qualitative metrics at the front of an engagement so that you've got a baseline effect of what's going on. And that way we know what is it that you are measuring for? What is it that's the type of ROI that's gonna match up? How does it align within the executives or managers what, that we might be coaching? How does it align to their particular agenda and what they know that they're working on uh, as leaders and as, as managers as well? So most of the ROI gets driven by being very intentional and very conscious about where are we beginning? Why are we working on those types of things? How are we gonna know that we're moving the needle? What are the ways we're gonna measure those changes? and then being able to do that, that same type of surveying and assessment type work in the appropriate intervals. Usually that's gonna be anywhere from four to six months after coaching has begun, because uh, coaching is not a 
coaching is not a quick fix. And frankly, even if you measure something for a quick fix, it's not a real one. It's just a, it's a placebo effect. Uh, you need to measure it over time to make sure that it's having the sustainable effect that you're looking for. All right. Um, you created the Energy Leadership Index. With my, I was one of the initial researchers. Uh, that's my business partner, uh, Bruce Schneider, who's the founder of IPEC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he had originally developed the Energy Leadership Framework and developed the Energy Leadership Index Assessment. And I was one of the original uh, kind of researchers on that team of creating, uh, kind of rolling out and creating and, and optimizing that assessment. Okay, and can you tell us something about it? Yeah, the, frame, the framework, actually, I talk about a consciousness-based model. And uh, what energy leadership does is that when you think about whatever it is that you view in life, all of the experiences that you have, you view them through a particular perception, a particular lens. And all of the experiences that you've ever been through in your life make up those perceptions. Well, those perceptions have patterns to them. Specifically, there's seven different levels of energy that we talk about or seven different levels of perception that are there. And so at the core of it, it could be uh, a, a viewing things from that victim type of mentality. It could be through the point of conflict. It could be from the point of responsibility or it could be from the point of service or uh, what we call either a purpose or an opportunity-based type of a level, uh, a level of, of even um, uh, synthesis and a point even of, of non-judgment. Well, these seven different levels that are there, we bounce up and down them all day long based off of what we're going through and how our perceptions are coming out at any given time. It's basically a blueprint for how we see the world. And so when people go through this assessment, ultimately what they're finding is how their perception and how these different, these different patterns, levels that are there, how they are there in a usual basis, meaning when things are going relatively well for you on a normal day, and then it also shows them their stress response. So how does your perception actually change when you've been triggered by something, when there is something that's causing you some challenge in your life? And what people begin to notice is exactly how much their thinking, perception, and experience of life dramatically changes. And when they are there, they also begin to understand what keeps them stuck there. So it's basically like getting a, a blueprint. It's like getting an x-ray on what's going on in your particular field and it helps you identify these are the things that are that are helping me drive my success or drive where it is that i want to be and here's the things that are blocking me or preventing me from that so that the individual and the coach can really quickly laser in on what's going to make the biggest difference to the progress that they want to make and is it uh, is it almost the same as uh, a cognitive uh, behavior therapy There, there's certainly some similarities just in yeah. terms of the way that people are, are understanding and reframing and, and you know, looking at the perceptions that are there. Uh, interestingly enough, that is part of the background of, of, of our founder, Bruce Schneider, was trained in, in CBT as well as a, a bunch of other fields as well. Um, so there absolutely certainly is some aspect of that similarities to what that is. And um, yeah, so that's, you know, certainly it's, that's part of it. Uh, most of it really truly comes from the, the standpoint of people understanding that our consciousness manifests through these different patterns yeah, and yeah. that it's the different beliefs and the thoughts that we have that come up within those patterns for, for us to break down and yeah, understand. Yeah. And how uh, sustainable and adaptable is uh, the, the, the energy leadership index mm -hmm. in time? Because we live in a time, yeah. I think it's a generation, there are so oh, uh, many temptations. Yeah, there are so okay. many temptations in this world. And uh, like after the war, it was very collective everybody was helping each other and now it's very individual how is this energy leadership index different than other uh, models and indexes well, it's, it's it's different in a lot of ways in the fact that <clears throat> for energy leadership 
it's what you'd refer to as more of an attitudinal assessment, not a personality assessment. So personality assessment is going to help people understand much more of some of the fixed traits and qualities that, that are going to remain largely consistent, if not entirely consistent for much of their life. Attitudinal is meant as much more of an intervention type of a strategy. It's subjective. It's meant to change. And it's meant to change based off of different circumstances. Why? Because our consciousness changes. And so we, we needed to map something that was both helping people understand where they are at this time and then gave them ideas as to how you can begin to make real adjustments that will ripple out through the entire way that you live your life and, and view your life. And so it allows us to get down at that level. So based on whether it be age, changes in generations, uh, changes, uh, differences in gender, culture, or otherwise, it's adaptable to those types of circumstances because it's meant to be. It's meant to be a unique assessment based off of who you are as an individual. And that's your consciousness, and that's what shows up in the assessment. Uh, Luke, I experienced that a lot of uh, managers, leaders, they have to do an assessment, mm -hmm. and then the, the assessment shows they have a really high IQ, and then they start their first day, and then they see their team, and they want to do an uh, inspiration session, and everybody is watching them, and they're like, no, we're not going to do that. Uh, they are missing a sort of uh, emotional quotient, uh, spiritual quotient from how can I give my group the type of energy so that they will perform. Is that something you recognize or? Oh, uh, certainly. I mean, we see, we, we see that all the time. When, uh, what I like to you know, talk to people about is that when you have a certain result that you want to be able to achieve with a team, with an organization, you've got to step back and think about what creates that result. Is it, can you control the result directly or do you have to focus on the process of achieving that result? Well, obviously it's the process. You can't directly control the result. It's at the end of the equation. And so when you look at the process, you've got to think about what is it that op optimizes performance within that process. And then it drops you back to, okay, what creates performance? You've got to look at intrinsic motivation. You've got to look at the energy, the consciousness that is there in the first place. So ultimately when you walk back through that, you've got this end goal of, I want a leader who's going to be able to motivate their team and inspire their team, drive this type of performance. Well, that's got to be mapped back, not just to somebody who has technical skills. That's part of what may be appropriate for the job. But beyond the technical skills, you've got to make sure also they've got the emotional intelligence, social intelligence, that they've got a certain level of consciousness that is going to allow them to be very adaptable to the type of decision making that's needed, the type of people skills that are ultimately going to be needed, the type of growth that they're, they're going to want to be able to have. So you've got a multi-dynamic you know, factor that's ultimately there. And you've got to, you know, it's a very holistic process. You've got to be able to look at the, the whole equation and not hire off of one or two parameters. And unfortunately, that's hiring process because it's easier to measure for technical skills and those types of qualities that's we we do that because we can measure it the challenge is that's usually not the greatest indicator of whether a manager or leader is going to be successful yeah yeah um it's the unknown talent podcast is there a connection between talent looking for talent as a leader and leadership so uh, how do you coach mm -hmm. a, a leader in their leadership okay to look for talent gotcha with the people uh, who work for him or her. Excellent. So the, the very first place that you go is you want to help people look at their own self-leadership. So for you to be able to recognize the talent and the leadership of another individual, you'd better be able to see it in yourself first. And so there's a, there's a part of the process that really is about that introspection and self-awareness because that ultimately to me is when somebody has a high degree of self-awareness and they've got a certain degree of compassion for how you need to grow based off of, of the awareness that you have. Now all of a sudden you've got somebody who's going to be adaptable. They're going to be more agile. They're not going to get as stuck in their ways. Well, we need to do that first as leaders. For us to be able to bring it out in others, we've got to be able to show that, demonstrate that, live that, walk that within ourselves. 
when you find that within yourself, the ability to start seeing it in others just magnifies very, very, very quickly because you'll start to pick up on who are the ones that have a slightly different motivation, a slightly different drive than others. Who are the ones that have a way of getting their work done and helping other members on the team at the same time? Who are the ones that just seem to have a, a charisma about them, but it's not just polish? There's something there. There's a, sub, there's a genuineness to this charisma that's there. You'll start to see these things and understand what's creating it and what's driving it when you can begin to see it within yourself. Very difficult to do it otherwise. What we see, uh, um, uh, we both um, uh, give in-company training for managers and leaders. And we see often that they have so many things to do. They're so busy with, uh, they are a, a human resource manager. They are a manager uh, with a specific task in, in, in engineering or something. How can they be all of that? And next to that also be the talent manager. Yeah. How do I, they do that? I, I think you're asking one of the greatest challenges that's out there, one of the, the tough questions that really is out there for a lot of workforces right now, because we've gotten very efficient, as it were, based on technology or even just the, you know, the way that resources are allocated right now from an economic standpoint. And so it means that workloads are as high as they ever are, have, have been. I think the, you know, the piece that more than anything that when you are in that position, you need to be able to do. Uh, you do need to first start with your you know, prioritization process. What is it that ultimately is going to help you deliver on what your agreed upon goals are for that organization, for that team? You certainly have to be very conscious of it. And then you've got to be able to break down what are the most leverageable, leverageable parts of my position to accomplish those things. Now, what most people don't realize is that they, they know the technical side and they know what they need to do hands on. So that's where they usually think of, let me go do this because then I can have better control over this or I can drive it more or at least I know what I'm going to get. But that's not leverageable. Leverage only comes through the talent side of things and the talent leadership of what you're doing. And so you, you need to be able to see based on these priorities, how do I walk through this in a manner that there may be some things that I do need to get done and need to maintain, but let me really take a look at how do I leverage the talent that's around me. One of the greatest pieces of advice that, that I had received very early on in my career, and interestingly enough from my father, was make yourself replaceable. How is it that you can come into your job and expect that somebody beneath you can ultimately replace you in your position? Most people get afraid of something like that. Like, I'm gonna lose my job. Or you can choose to look at it as I can't be promoted unless there is somebody to take this job. I can't be promoted unless I can show that I can build capacity and I can build talent. And that's certainly one of the things that right now is highlighted by CEOs around the world as one of the greatest sore spots that's there for organizations is they need to get better at developing talent. They need to get developed at building the next round of leaders. And it's something that, that a lot of organizations are struggling with. And yet at the same time, that's, that's what's going to move the needle the most for these organizations. So I think there are two main topics, um, focus, is, is one of the focus things, is one. focus is one. Mm -hmm. And the next thing is take distance from your own ego. Yes. It's good, that's a good way, it's absolutely, that's a, it's a good way of saying it. Uh, the, the, the part about focus that I would just add into that is leverage. So to, to recognize that whatever you put into the equation, it's not just what you know best and what you feel most confident in because you know it best, but it's what is really gonna you know, spread out. Where are we gonna get this, this leverage that we can really truly optimize and build a lot more, get that exponential capacity? That's the first part. 
The second part, which I'm really glad you picked up on, is the ego standpoint. Because we, we do, you know, unfortunately, we get wrapped up in our identity. We might get wrapped up in our position. Uh, we know our view of the world. What we need to begin to look at are, well, there's a lot of other people who also can do this. And not to believe that the position that you have is something that, you know, you're the one uniquely who can pull this off. We've got to be able to step back from that. And ironically, it's those leaders that have that reduced ego and they have a way of, of putting more effort and energy into the people around them so that they build them up. Those are usually the leaders that also become the most quote unquote successful by either material or societal definition as well. They climb the ladders because they're building loyalty, they're building capacity, they're building talent. And now all of a sudden those are the people that will do, you know, ultimately do get promoted up the ranks because there's not as many people focused on that. What's your opinion, Luke, about high potential pools and that sort of uh, um, situations? Because um, uh, my experience, uh, experience in different organizations is that you have a high potential pool and only in the high potential pools there are talent programs right. and uh, so you're in or you're out basically yeah. yeah i think it's i while i appreciate the 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 attempt that they're making because they're trying to streamline the process for developing the next round of leaders and, and individuals are being identified that way the challenge is that it's leaving so much talent and innovation to use a field that you guys are part of it is losing so much of that by ignoring the other 80% that are not grouped into that hypo, you know, type of talent pool. Uh, the, you know, one of the coolest projects that I'd, I had heard about, uh, which was several years ago at this point, was out of the, one of the big Fortune 500s, uh, one of the Fortune 100s actually, where based on the innovation program that they ran, the people that were filing patents were administrators, secretaries, uh, individuals that had no engineering degree, no technical degree, no PhD, but because they tapped into the whole of the talent of the organization and not the 10 or 20% who had the quote unquote pedigree or had you know, somehow gotten themselves into that pool. You, they, you really wanna take a much more holistic approach and you're gonna find there's so much more talent in the organization than you really pay attention to. And when you start to tap that, the, the capacity for you to grow as an organization is exponent, exponential. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Self-awareness. And now I'm going to look at you, uh, Luke. <laughs> What's your talent? What's my talent? Yeah. I would say probably one of the things that has been noted most to me from some of the individuals that I work with and certainly some of my clients, I have a very unique ability to take a very wide angle approach, meaning to see the whole field of all the different moving parts or concepts or ideas or changing patterns that are going on, whether it be in a business environment or even just somebody's life, and then be able to bring that down and synthesize that into an idea, a concept, a question, a process that people can really do something with. And so I, it's, to me, it's this ability to synthesize information from a, from a very broad view uh, and I think that that very much feeds into why coaching is of such an interest to me. Um, and it's funny because I used to coach predominantly on the business and executive side of things. And now while I still do, you know, a bunch of that, uh, my interest honestly is just seeing people expand and step into their potential. And so to be able to apply that when individuals are very confused and feel very stuck across this huge thing that they call life. And for them to be able to all of a sudden step back based on a question or something I was able to frame to them that helps them recognize that all of this confusion that's going on actually boils down to just one or two patterns. 
and being able to synthesize the information for them to be able to see those one or two patterns and then be able to talk about that. Yeah. that I think that's a, a beautiful joy. thing in, 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 this, in this time. Of, um, mm. I think it's very powerful to just bring it back yeah. on a practical way, as we mentioned before we started the podcast, yeah. that you are able to make it very practical. Is that what other people give you back? As your talent? Yes, I've, I've heard that from, from people that I work with, um, from clients that, that I've served, uh, is exactly that. It's, it's, you know, I've, and it's probably just because it's been my own process of going out and trying to figure out how do you tap into these really big concepts. Some of them are inspiring, some are wisdom traditions, some of them are just amazing concepts that are out there. But I always had this desire, this need, as it were, to figure out how is this going to affect my life now? And the only way to do that was I had to make it pragmatic. And so I don't know whether I was born this way or it was something I developed just because I went out and that's how I approached my own learning, my own path. And ultimately, whether it was an innate strength or not, it became definitely a, a, a much bigger strength uh, because of that process. My father always told me, uh, Albert Einstein used to say, if you cannot explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. Mm. Is that something that you is that something you comply or are you something? I I would very much agree with that because I I know from my own experience when I try to explain something and I can't land it simply, I probably got a little more work to do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But no, it is. It's it's and to me, I think that's some of the greatest wisdom that's out there is just the simplicity. Hmm. It's it's when you can boil it down to really truly understand the essence of something, not just that it's simple, but it's there's an essence that you're able to convey with with that simple statement. When you've got that. Now you know you really grasp it and you've probably integrated it. I think a lot of beautiful tips, uh, Luke. That's why I want to go to the last question. Are there topics, uh, we talked about happiness, coaching, talent. Are there some topics we didn't mention yet? Some ingredients for a happier life? I think that the, the only thing that I would probably add to our conversation, and I think it's part of you know, what connected us being here at the World Happiness Summit, uh, was what I was speaking about uh, the other day. And it's that to me that happiness is something you really need to define from yourself, from your own perspective. Nobody can really tell you what happiness is to you. You're an individual, you're unique. Now, all of the incredible research that is out there and all of the work that's being done can save you a lot of time. And you can, you know, you can start to hone in on certain areas to really look for it in your life. But I can't define what meaning is to you. I can't define your purpose. I can't define fulfillment. I can't define freedom or connection. I can't define those things for you. They feel different to you. You experience them different than I do because I can't have your life. I haven't had your background. I don't have your genetics. I haven't had your upbringing. I haven't had the same jobs. You, you know, all of that stuff makes you a very unique individual. And so learn from everything that's out there, but ultimately you need to uncover the essence of who you are, what matters most to you. What do these experiences of happiness feel like to you so that you recognize that happiness and freedom and fulfillment, it's something that you really feel from within yourself and there's a resonance to it. That's how you really know that you're just completely aligned and, and congruent with the type of life that you're meant to have. Thank you very much. Th this is really the last question. And we talked about it before, so you had a lot of thinking time. <laughs> uh, is there something uh, no one knows from you? <laughs> I'm not sure it's that no one knows it, but certainly something that many people are surprised by. Uh, I am actually a very highly introverted individual. I am a wallflower. Um, I am not the, the person who goes out to be the life of the party. I don't go out to network a room. Um, even though there's times where you'll see me doing it, it is usually through a, you know, a great deal of, of introverted reluctance. 
Um, and most people are very surprised. Uh, I grew up as, I just was a very shy kid growing up. I've, I've always kind of maintained that. I'm uh, just introverted by nature of how I process. But usually when I, I share that, many people are, are really quite surprised yeah. uh, that that's who I am. Yeah. <laughs> we, and we met you in a big hall with a lot of people. In front of a bunch of hundred, several hundred people. Yeah, okay. there, was a, there was time in my life that that would have been absolutely terrifying. Yeah, yeah, uh, I moved yeah. past those fears, but I, yeah. I still, I'm an introverted guy by nature. I didn't see any flowers on your shirt. So that was <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Thank you very much. We Thank you for We're very grateful me. that uh, we had you in our podcast. And uh, we hope to inspire a lot of people with your story uh, back in Holland. Thank you. But thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks.